Hey everybody, this is Randy Shandabel and you're listening to This Golden State. Today, an interview with the candidate for California governor who may not be on your radar right now, but probably will be soon. His name is John Chung. He's a Democrat. He's the state treasurer. And before that, he was the state controller. I know, sounds kind of dry. Someone talking about issuing bonds and managing the state's investments. And yeah, if I'm being totally honest, John Chung isn't the most charismatic politician running for governor, not as dashing or erudite as, say, Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom, not as well-known as former Los Angeles Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa, or even former state school superintendent Delane Easton. But, as you'll hear in this interview, Chung may be the ultimate don't-judge-a-book-by-its-cover candidate. You get beyond his spreadsheets and you find a maverick, a guy with a history of standing up to power. John Chung's tough as nails when he needs to be. When you cross the line, somebody has to call you out. So far, most all of the announced or likely candidates for governor are Democrats. In addition to Chung, Newsom, Villaraigosa, and Delane Easton, other Democrats who may enter the race include current Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti and Tom Steyer, the billionaire environmental activist. California is going to be the counterpoint to Trumpian ideas. California is going to be the place where we respect the rights of individuals. The only Republican running so far, Hall of Fame football player Rosie Greer. Southern California venture capitalist John Cox is likely to run, and San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner may run. The high-speed rail plan as it exists now is not going to happen. It's a fantasy. Some very early polls have Chung trailing badly to the better-known Newsom and Villaraigosa, and trailing San Diego Mayor Faulkner as well. But Chung, a son of Taiwanese immigrants, has been raising a lot of money, and his mix of socially progressive values combined with fiscal restraint could appeal to moderates and crossover voters. We talked to John Chung last week. State Treasurer John Chung, thanks for joining us today. Happy to join you. As state treasurer, I am assuming that you know more about the state of California's fiscal health than most of us, correct? Uh, That's correct. Actually, this is my 19th year in office, and I'm the only person to have served uh, in all three finance positions, first at the Board of Equalization, then controller as the state's chief fiscal officer, and then today, the treasurer, I'm the state's banker. So I bring that up because just, well, it's still going on. This week, the crisis up at the Oroville Dam. And for more than a decade, several environmental groups have been warning that the emergency spillway there needs to be repaired. And one of the main reasons that the state said no, they couldn't do it, was they mainly thought it was too expensive a fix. From your position now, did the state have the money, the $100 million, to do that fix 10 years ago or sometime in between then and now? Well, when you have essential items of infrastructure or other areas of spending that need to be invested in, Uh, you find a way how to finance. Uh, That's one of the things that I had offered last year in my treasurer support. We don't have a statewide inventory of assets. Uh, We need to put together a statewide inventory of assets, identify what its useful life is, and then bring together the engineers, the financial uh, personnel, the land use personnel, the legal personnel, the architects to figure out how do we design and finance essential infrastructure going forward. We witnessed that example, as you just brought up, but I'm sure we're going to have 
many of those issues if we don't get serious about financing and uh, repairing and rebuilding infrastructure in our great state. It's always easy, of course, to second-guess when things go wrong. So let's take what I'm going to say with a grain of salt. But conservative groups, they're having a field day with this. They're pointing the finger at Governor Brown. They're mocking him for pushing the $68 billion-plus uh, high-speed rail project he's so fond of uh, and spending money on helping undocumented immigrants at times like basic infrastructure needs go unchecked. Are those criticisms fair, do you think? No, we have to be smart about all of these things. And frankly, the, you know, this, that discussion isn't healthy. Uh, at times where you have major challenges, when you have crises, uh, we need responsible, serious pol- public policy leaders to address these issues in a very uh, measured thoughtful fashion. And so go ahead, and if you want to make those political attacks, but let's get back to the table and do the hard work that's required and what Californians expect of us. I mentioned high-speed rail while we're on that topic. Your thoughts? Good idea? Bad idea? I like high-speed rail, but we need to figure a way to get private financing of high-speed rail. We don't have all the funding in the world. That's always the challenges of government. So how do we get private investment to build high-speed rail and other items of infrastructure in California? Well, you raised the question yourself. So far, I haven't heard (laughs) many, many private uh, companies offering to help out. Where is that private financing going to come from? Is there any yet? There's companies that are interested, uh, right? You have to have the tough negotiations. They want better terms uh, than... Uh, the state should be paying them. They want. I hear that some of them want guaranteed returns of ten plus. Right? If they're going to get ten plus, we can, we can all stick our money in there if we know we're going to get a ten percent return on uh, on those types of investments. So, are, are you at liberty to say who some of these people are? Uh, no. Well, what happens if the private financing isn't there? Do then, we just let it die? Then we got uh, we got we have to have uh, a serious discussion as to what we need to do. There's already been work going on. Would we just stop and leave those temporary structures standing there like some kind of frozen dinosaur or something in the middle of the Central Valley? Well, we don't want we don't want that to happen. But uh, obviously, you have to make a long-term decision based on sound finances. I'm pressing this because I've heard you several times talk about the need for private financing. Makes sense, but right now it's not there. At least not in a concrete form. That, that's correct. I'm not disagreeing. We're going to have to just work very aggressively to get people to the table and have these negotiations. Let's change topics and switch to the governor's race. Why do you think you would be a better fit for California as governor than, say, Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom? Yeah, I think the body of work uh, creates greater opportunities uh, for Californians. You just pointed to the fiscal experience. So I've been working on a whole plethora of issues that impact everyday Californians whether it's trying to help people with student loans to creating more jobs in the state of California, helping to finance education during that last crisis, to uh, this week, as you might have witnessed, going back to Washington, D.C. to try to protect secure choice. I'll I'll get into secure choice in just a bit. But basically, you're saying you're not criticizing Gavin Newsom. You're saying that your background in fiscal issues is what the state needs right now. Yeah, so it's not only the fiscal issues, because those fiscal issues turn into social issues. If you care about housing, if you care about education, if you care about opportunities uh, here in California and the United States of America. We have to grow the economy, we have to create opportunities, and we have to be fiscally strong. Same question about uh, former L.A. Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa. Any any comments about him? Oh, that both Gavin and Antonio, the other candidates, are extremely bright and talented. Uh, but I think that the work uh, demonstrates where my focus has been and where I want to go forward. 
So I suppose if I were to list the other candidates or possible candidates, you would say the same thing. You wouldn't have anything to say about them specifically. You would say you've got the experience. Uh, I have the, not only the experience, I have the track record. Can I say something that I'm guessing you're probably not going to like to hear? You're clearly qualified to run for governor. You're clearly smart. But in recent years, uh, Californians tend to vote for candidates with a lot of charisma. Uh, Governor Schwarzenegger, Jerry Brown has a lot of charisma. He has a colorful way with words. The governor's colorful. Your most prominent opponent at this point, Gavin Newsom, is very quick and colorful with his words. You come across as a bit wonkish and dry. Are you aware of that? Is it a concern of yours? Uh, the uh, I can be wonkish and dry. just demonstrates that I'm serious and I care deeply about people. But I think at the end of the day, People want a leader who's bold, who's courageous, who takes actions, and frankly, every day, every day demonstrates that they care about them. I mean, obviously, it is the issues that matter most, and I feel sheepish even, even bringing it up, but it is a reality. Name ID and personality matter. You don't have as much name ID as Antonio Villaraigosa or Gavin Newsom. Uh, you're not as colorful as Gavin Newsom. He uses analogies and metaphors. I guess you could say he's TV-friendly and you're more spreadsheet-friendly. Uh, no, I, th- I think it, I'm just very friendly. Yeah, I'd like to consider myself... <laughs> I'm, I'm the nice guy next door who cares. I'm the good uh, older brother. I'm the, the neighbor who t- gets uh, the job done that you can trust. One of the great things, I love California. It's innovation. It's diversity. Uh, but I also have values that I brought from the Midwest. Uh, Chicago was known as the city of big shoulders, people who carry a lot of weight and responsibility. And I think voters understand that. We're just going to have to reinforce it. That last election cycle, next to Governor Brown, I had the second most amount of votes in California. So there's a certain foundation where people trust the work that I've done. So when I say those things, it doesn't bother you. You're aware of it, and you factor it all in. I am who I am. The uh, and. People can accept me for who I am. People can reject me. Uh, I grew up uh, in suburban Chicago, faced a lot of discrimination. You know, I wasn't trying to work to make sure that they all liked me, but I wanted to make sure that people knew I was a decent, good person who was going to do great things. Okay. Fair to say that whoever becomes the next governor, he or she, will have somewhat legendary shoes to fill. Whatever people think of Jerry Brown, whether he's done a good job or a bad job, no question He's one of the most important political figures in the state's history. If for no other reason, then he will have served for 16 years. Any thoughts on that? Oh, no. I think the uh, governor has done very strong work. Uh, You know, his task was very clear at the outset, and that helped him uh, lead and guide California. We we were in fiscal crisis. Uh, We were very excited to help the governor uh, in making sure that he was successful. I wanted to make make sure that the previous governor was very successful. That's why, you know, you call the information, you call the numbers straight, you provide accountability and transparency uh, that people want. Think back to 2012. We didn't have a massive financial crisis as we did in 2009, and that's in part because we told Governor uh, Brown that he needed to take action, that we were witnessing some of the same cash challenges that we did in 2009. His great leadership is he asked us what to do, uh, what California needed to do, and he prevented a formidable, terrible crisis from once again reoccurring. In, uh, in, in fairness, part of that has to do with the economy improving, and it would have improved with or without Governor Brown, and it would have improved with or without your involvement. Isn't that true? Uh, a, a little bit, right? Yes, the general overall economy, but right, you can have a great 
performing economy and still have bad fiscal decisions being made. Uh, California's economy, we went into a negative cash position in 2007 before the recession began, before the financial crisis began, before the real estate crisis. It's because they didn't get the budget correct. So you, you, can, have, you can have people make millions of dollars, billions of dollars, and still go bankrupt because they don't handle their money correctly. So what about Jerry Brown's performance would you emulate? What, what do you admire most about him? Oh, uh, I think we're both straight shooters. You know, we call it tough. We're independent. He's been tough on making sure that we're, we've become responsible, and uh, I would emulate that, or I think I've done that. You've worked closely with him for a number of years, or at least in relatively close proximity. Uh, what would you do differently? I'm sure there's been some things that you've thought that you would have handled things differently. Well, I would take a, because it's different, international focus. I lead trade delegations to China, go to other places. Foreign direct investment is critical to California. It's critical for the financial health, economic prosperity, uh, social cohesion of California if we build stronger partnerships with our international partners. Polls show that Governor Brown is actually more popular now than he's ever been. And uh, he's been in office quite a while. He's popular, articulate, and the state's in relatively good fiscal shape as we speak. Still, the state's roads, bridges, and as we mentioned, dams are not. California's infrastructure grade certainly wouldn't be an A, probably wouldn't even be a B, if someone like Governor Brown, as popular as he is, can't get it done, can't improve things. How would you get it done? What would you do differently? I'd continue to work and make sure the legislators and the other decision makers understand the importance of this. Uh, The governor has huge impact. At the end of the day, he makes those uh, decisions in working with the legislature. So I would center the focus uh, on critical infrastructure investment. And as I pointed out, this isn't Johnny come lately to this issue. I put this in my report last year, right before the Oroville crisis. Obviously, at some point to improve the state's infrastructure, as we'd all like to see it be improved, we're going to need at least some federal government help. But as we speak, it's no secret that the governor has been highly critical of uh, President Donald Trump. The state legislature has. The attorney general has. With all that going on, plus the sanctuary cities, in fact, California may in fact become a sanctuary state, it's no secret that uh, Donald Trump is thinking about withholding federal dollars. That's obviously a problem. It's a challenge, but adults come together. They work together. Uh, We're going to not always agree with the president. In fact, we have to reflect California values. We have a deeper sense of our community and our people. Uh, So uh, the president thinking in his national interest may not fully understand what's in the best interests of Californians. So we will work with him when we can. I'll certainly do it in the treasurer's office. And then we will challenge the uh, governor uh, when we need to, right? We have critical workers that are you needed. You mean challenge the president? The president. Yeah. Thank you for that correction. Uh, when we need to, uh, we have a highly diversified workforce. We have people who bring in tremendous intellectual capacity, and we have people who work uh, very uh, with great experience and expertise with their hands, and we need that to make sure that we prosper in all elements of our economy. Some are going to accuse me of making an editorial comment here, but I really don't think I am. President Trump, he holds grudges. He just had a press conference where even today he's relitigating the election and saying nasty things about Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. He doesn't let things go. You're not concerned about that? I mean, you can go there and talk to him friendly, but it doesn't seem to make a difference sometimes. We're going to work to the best extent that we can. And as I said, we'll challenge him where we can. But he's not going to be involved in every issue. Uh, he's going to have a, 
a huge staff, and we're going to find where we can work with people within the administration. And in fairness to his administration, uh, he is coming up with the federal dollars to help with the uh, crisis at Oroville Dam. You know, actually, the money that the president is talking about withholding because of the sanctuary cities and potentially the sanctuary state, a lot of people would say, what's he withholding? That's already our money. We've given that money to the state as part of our taxes. In fact, Californians pay more money in federal taxes than any other state by far. I guess we're what some people would call a donor state. We, we give more money than we get back. So is it fair to try to punish a state by withholding federal dollars when those federal dollars came from the state in the first place? Yeah, so I don't know if uh, the fairness argue, argument works uh, with the president, but we have to make sure that we advocate that it's in not only California's interest, but the national interest. Uh, California has uh, led the United States in, in the economic recovery. We've created you know, over 2 million jobs since the last recession. So if the president wants to establish that he has a successful presidency, that he's going to lift the fortunes of all Americans, right? You can't have a California that underperforms or performs uh, poorly for the rest of the United States of America to succeed. But, I mean, has that point been made to him that, hey, that money that you're talking about came from here in the first place? Well, I I don't know if it has, but we're going to continue to make that point, and we're going to continue to build the partnerships so that he well understands it. Okay, it's it's a little early to be talking about this, but once the governor's campaign begins in earnest, I imagine sometime early next year, right now it's looking like one of the main issues, if not the main issue, will be how would the next governor stand up to the president of the United States? That's kind of a bizarre thing to think about. Any thoughts on that? We're going to stand up. Uh, One of the things that I'm going to do in this campaign, as I've demonstrated in past offices, we're going to take a different route. Uh, We're going to offer real solutions, and then hopefully, you know, we'll work with or we'll challenge the administration to see if they're with us or not. When the president challenged climate change and immediately took action uh, in his uh, first couple of days in office, uh, over the last year, I've been promoting green bonds. Briefly explain the notion of green bonds. What exactly are So you have traditional bonds that are used to finance infrastructure. Uh, I wanted to create bonds that will promote cleaner, greener activity in our in our state. So if you want to invest in clean waterways, if you want to invest in solar energy, if I want to create that financing vehicle for individuals. And when you so, look so they would be bonds specifically targeting those areas. Yeah, for clean green opportunities. If you are elected governor and if the president Uh, issues an order that you, in good conscience, don't feel you could enact, what would you do? We're going to respectfully decline and tell them why, and uh, but we'll engage in conversations to see if we can find a mutual solution. If not, then we're going to to have a a political battle. A lot has been made about uh, potential resistance and actual resistance to President Trump, uh, other leaders standing up to the president's power. But you yourself have a history of kind of being a resistor. Uh, You defied an order from Governor Schwarzenegger during a budget stalemate in Sacramento. My recollection is he had ordered the state to reduce the pay of nearly 200,000 state employees to the federal minimum wage of $6.55 an hour until the legislature met his demands, and you wouldn't do it. That's right. But we said we wanted to work with the governor. We thought the governor's order was incorrect. Uh, So it's not like we were said we wouldn't work with you. We had responded. We understood that was one of the possibilities, and we had signaled early to the governor's office that we were going to disagree. And what was his reaction when you disagreed? Well, we didn't hear directly from the governor. We heard from the former director of finance who called our office and let us know that the governor disagreed. 
But uh, he, he, he didn't uh, hold a press conference and call you names, as you recall. Not immediately. <laughs> <laughs> you also uh, miffed a lot of state legislators when you uh, docked their pay back in uh, 2011 because they couldn't come up with a balanced budget. Yeah, I think voters were sick and tired of witnessing budgets that were out of balance, and they were suffering as a consequence of not getting the math correct in Sacramento. When you have education being owed $10 billion, teachers getting pink slips, when you have health care services being denied, uh, we, we needed to make a clear signal that those days needed to be end and that we needed to make sure that we had our balance, uh, a balanced budget in place so that you could do the functions that government's supposed to do to make sure people have successful lives. And the blowback you got on that? Uh, I was in the penalty box for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean exactly? You don't, you don't get the legislation you want uh, passed or signed into law. Uh, the uh, right your communications are different. Kind of on the same topic, you also recently made headlines when you suspended California's investment relationship with Wells Fargo because of because the bank fraudulently opened up millions of unauthorized accounts. So I'm guessing your supporters, this is getting back to my personality question, might say, yeah, John Chung, he comes across a bit wonkish, but there's a fighter inside that wonk. John Chung's tough as nails when he needs to be. I I try to be a responsible person. At the end of the day, I try to be somebody who gives the other person the benefit of the doubt. Uh, But when you cross the line, somebody has to call you out. And I think that's one of the qualities that separates me from the others, right? When Wells Fargo engaged in that illegal and improper action, I stood up and said something. We need people standing up and calling out bad actions. And so I will stand up and I will take the bold action, oftentimes unpopular, uh, politically unpopular because people are afraid of taking on the big guys. I have nothing against big guys. We want small businesses growing to flourish. But when you abuse the privilege that you have, when you abuse the trust, somebody needs to stand up. And so I'm that person time and again. I don't know enough about you to know if what you're saying is completely true. I take you at your word. But where does that spine come from? What in your childhood made you who you are? Uh, so I'm the oldest child of immigrant parents. I think that that's the American story. People come and they realize that this is their field of dreams. Uh, So they give up everything. My parents came from Taiwan. And so my dad had three shirts, two pairs of pants, uh, came here to get his Ph.D., uh, met my mom. They got married. She was also an immigrant. We were the first Asian family in our community in suburban Chicago, and we were discriminated against. How how so? How did it? show itself. So you would have ugly racial taunts all the time. We would have ugly racial epithets spray painted on our garage. We would get into fights or I would get into fights. He had rocks thrown through our windows. This is uh, the late 1960s, early 1970s. And so as a child, right, when you are excluded from the process, when people taunt you and I was born in New York and you're felt to be not part of this, uh, that's how I govern, right? I govern with inclusiveness, I fight for the middle class and other people. I want everybody to succeed, but I understand how it is to start from behind and have to prove yourself. And so that's what I do every day representing Californians. I want to make sure that my six godchildren and other children don't have to go through that same racial discrimination. So there weren't many other uh, Chinese people in your neighborhood? So when I got to high school, there were five Asian families altogether. It's nice just to have affirmation or somebody understands the struggle that you go through. Right. Pe- everyday people go through a lot of suffering, and that's why I disagree with this president. Don't make it harder on people. People just want to live their lives. They want to have 
uh, good opportunities that what America's about, why my parents came to this country, and let us try to make it. So your family came for economic reasons? My dad came for education. Again, you think it comes from back in those days, that kind of, uh, I'll stand up to power, I won't, uh, I won't go along if I feel something's wrong, it somehow is connected to being discriminated against as yeah. a child? Absolutely. Somebody, somebody, has to, somebody has to stand up and be tough for each other. I remember my mom campaigned for a Polish-American city council member, and my mom speaks broken English they, because that person understood what the struggles we were going through and stood up for our family. And so the, I saw the hope that that person gave to my mom, and so that's why I do what I do. You uh, earlier briefly mentioned secure choice, and I stopped you because I want to talk about it now. Uh, in recent weeks, some congressional Republicans have been talking about killing secure choice. If I understand it correctly, that's kind of a state-run retirement program for Californians who choose to opt in, kind of a 401k for Californians. Can you explain briefly what secure choice is and why you think those congressional Republicans want to kill it? Yeah, so you started to describe it aptly. Here in California, we have 7.5 million workers, uh, and so these are people who work who don't have a workplace retirement plan, pension plan. So they're trying to do the right thing, and for whatever reason, oftentimes these are small businesses that don't have the financial wherewithal to provide their workers a plan. This would create an opportunity for these employees to opt in up to a plan where there would be automatic withdrawals. If you have automatic withdrawal feature, people tend to save a lot more than if there is not an automatic withdrawal function. But again, it wouldn't be mandatory. It would be an opt-in. That's correct. Absolutely correct. Opt-in, right? So we're not forcing the employees. And so today, instead of having the most advanced uh, development in retirement security since Social Security, we may lose uh, back in Washington, D.C. As you pointed out, this may have come up. It did come up. We lost in the House of Representatives. It was a party vote, and it goes before the Senate. Hopefully, the senators will be smart enough this ought to be left to the states, recognizing so, states' so rights. So I don't, I don't understand the nature of their objection. If, if it's opt-in, if it's not mandatory, uh, how could they object? I think I know the answer. I'm guessing because if people choose to opt into a state-run program, uh, it potentially takes some money away from Wall Street. You're spot on. That's exactly right. So yeah. right, you can have uh, these big financial firms that are going to charge people 2.5%, 3% of the returns, and we're going to try to push for our plan, and but we're going to say you don't get paid more than 1%. So, so if you lose on this, is there a next step? Is there an alternative? Is there another try? Uh, we will look at if uh, we can construct a plan that withstands legal scrutiny without the Department of Labor rule. We were talking about uh, immigration and your background as an immigrant um, my parents. Your parents, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Thanks for correcting me. Do you feel that kind of helps you understand the immigrants who are here now worried about their status and their future in the current climate? Uh, it gives me uh, the uh, empathy uh, for their situation. I, uh, you can only imagine the upheaval or the struggle and also the hope uh, when you leave your homeland and you come to a different country and you try to learn a new language, when you try to understand new culture, when you try to become work-situated, when you try to become part of the community. Uh, right, uh, I mentioned earlier, I was, I was born here, but the community didn't accept our, many of our, the, our neighbors didn't accept us as community residents. You want to overcome that, and many generations have done it earlier. All Americans face this 
Irish, Italian, Germans, right? And today, you know, Latinos and Asians, right? We've, we all have that same sense, right? We are better when we're all Americans. So based on your background and based upon what you've been saying, I'm guessing if elected, you would uh, continue with the state's policy on sanctuary? If we're going we're gonna to fight to make sure that uh, everybody is respected and given an opportunity. Uh, I'm not quite sure that was a direct answer. So yes. Oh, or yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sanctuary cities is like you're recognizing that the federal government is supposed to handle immigration, right? The s- state has our, and local governments have their charges. And right now our charge isn't to enforce immigration policy. Your Chinese background shouldn't be an election issue, but it might become one. Does it help? Does it hurt? Does it do both? Uh, we will see. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm an American the, with proud Asian, my parents' proud Asian heritage, right? The, but that, I hope that's a source of inspiration for all, right? The, it's, it's not just the Asian part. It's that we all come from somewhere. We all celebrate our cultures, right? If we could like each other's people the way we like each other's foods, we would have better communities. I don't know why we have the, the hang-up about somebody Chinese when you like Chinese food. <laughs> yeah, if it was based upon how much you like food, we'd have nothing but Chinese and Italian governors, I think. Yeah, we, well, we, we, we'd have great love. So. <laughs> um, I think I understand that a lot of your uh, donors, your campaign donors, have been Asian Americans. So at least in that regard, initially, it's been a help. We built uh, strong relationships throughout the years. Part of that backing was, you know, over 20 years ago, I started working in civil rights on Asian issues. I was one of the refounders of the Los Angeles chapter. Uh, and so you built a camaraderie among friends who share similar passions and similar beliefs. And then that expanded later. I, I was a member of the Ethnic Coalition, where it's Latinos, Asians, African Americans working on s- social justice, environmental justice issues. Stop me if I'm getting uh, too personal, but your sister was murdered back in 1999. I mean, I can't imagine what that must be like, and and I'm sure that that's changed you or changed your outlook in some regards. Can you talk about that and how it's changed you? Yeah, so it's it's devastating. It's absolutely devastating. So the uh, there were four kids, and it wasn't easy, right? My parents did the right thing, but you know, economics is hard. Uh, even though my dad had a PhD. Uh, my mom wanted all the kids to be close, so it's J.R., J.R., it's John, Robert, Joyce, and Roger. My sister was eight years younger, my baby brother's 10 years younger, and she wanted to keep the kids close. So it was a pain when we were young, but we always had to bring my little brother and sister so that we would stay close. And so I took the responsibility of hanging out with Joyce, and my brother Bob took care of uh, Roger. And so Joyce, Joyce was the person I was closest to. Um, but And she was also named Joyce because my mom was waiting for a daughter and said she brought her great joy. So to have Joyce be abducted and to be murdered, obviously, is uh, the worst thing that could happen. And she was a young adult at the time. She was a young attorney at the INS. Immigration, Immigration issues, ironically. Yeah, so that's, that's one of the issues. We're not going to have time today to talk about all the key issues that the next governor will have to deal with. And even if we did by this time next year, some of those issues may change. But as we sit here today, what do you feel are the three most important things the next governor will have to deal with? Uh, opportunity inequality. Uh, when people are given the opportunity, great opportunities, they succeed, right? You have that Harvard study. You take a low-income child and you put them in a high-opportunity community. They perform nearly as well as a kid who comes from a wealthier family. Not exactly the same. 
But if we're going to change trajectories, we need to build world-class communities throughout California. Uh, housing, uh, you, you know it here in the Bay Area. Uh, I was able to, in my first couple of years, as the chair of TCAC and SIDLAC, which are the affordable housing credit authorities for the state of California, increase financing of affordable housing in the state of California by 80%. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. want to take that to the governor's office because we can't keep our young people, we can't keep middle-class people uh, here in California if they're priced out of this market. And in fact, it drives a lot of Californians into higher levels of poverty. Uh, so, And then certainly job creation. Uh, we need to make sure that we have more high-paying, good-paying jobs so that people have some type of foundation and stability that we can remove the struggle that they face in everyday life. And, and, and again, all those things are, are issues that politicians and government officials have talked about for years, perhaps even decades in some cases, and still haven't managed to solve those issues the way they would like, the way you're saying you would like to. Do you have some kind of magic bullet? Well, I think we're doing it. In my second year in office, when I rewrite the housing rules and we increase financing of housing by 80%, right, that's a, that's a nice, strong start uh, to mm, demonstrating well, that we're serious. I'm, we're, we're not feeling it here in the Bay Area. <laughs> well, there's a, lot, there's a lot of projects. That, there's, you know, there's a few dozen projects that are being financed in San Francisco, and we've moved that. You have more projects being financed in San Jose because we're working on it uh, t- today, right? It takes a while. So we live in in an age of uh, political slogans, and sometimes they work. Uh, Donald Trump's Make America Great Again, uh, Barack Obama, Change We Can Believe In. Any idea what your slogan will be? Uh, we, we haven't come up with a slogan yet. You know, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna build a California that, is, uh, that makes everybody's dreams possible. But that's not the slogan, that's the work. <laughs> I, well, I mean, do, do you have a shorthand for what you're all about? Voters have a short attention span. They're, they're not going to wait into your policy points. They just don't do that. So what, what's your shorthand of yourself, your, your one-sentence description? Courageous and effective. Spreadsheet with a spine? Uh, <laughs> I like courageous and effective. But spreadsheet with a spine the, uh, also adds elements. State Treasurer John Chung, thank you so much for being with us today. Delighted. Thank you for this opportunity. Next week, an interview with another candidate for governor, former Los Angeles Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa. You can subscribe to This Golden State on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and find us on San Francisco Magazine's website as well. If you like us, spread the word. Any comments or ideas, shoot me an email to Shandeville at Shandabil.com. That's S-H-A-N-D-O-B-I-L. Thanks for listening.